In the beginning, God created human beings to bear His image in the world. And He gave us authority to multiply and to fill the earth with more image bearers. And to take God's good creation and to continue to do good things with it. To expand God's rule and reign throughout the world as His ambassadors. That's what we get in Genesis Chapter 1 and 2. That's how God created us to be in His good world. Of course, we come to Genesis 3 and we know that we blew it. Sin ruined all of that. And the image of God within us became irreparably marred. It was beyond recognition. So God determined to make for Himself a new kind of people. A kingdom of priests to represent God to the rest of fallen humanity. And God called Abram to be the father of this chosen people. And of course, they blew it (laughs) again and again and again. And so God called these warrior judges to deliver His wicked people from their enemies when they would repent. He called prophets to warn them of coming judgment and call the people to repent. He called kings to mediate His rule and reign among His people and priests to lead them in holiness, and to make sacrifices to atone for their sins. But all of that was merely in preparation for the day when God Himself would come among His people as one of them. He would come as the ultimate prophet and priest and king. That He would reveal His truth. That He would forgive His people's sins. That He would rule in their hearts. And through this Messiah King, the Son of God Himself, would once again call a people to Himself. To be His ambassadors to the world. To multiply and to fill the earth with more followers of this Messiah. To once again become bearers of His image. But this time it would be different than any time before. This time, God would give His people new hearts. He would write His law not on stone tablets, but on our hearts. And His Holy Spirit wouldn't live among us in a tent or a temple, but instead would live within us, making us His temple. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ To be one in whom Christ dwells. To be made into His likeness. And to go into the world as His ambassadors to make more followers of Jesus. That's what I want us to talk about this morning. I want us to focus on the discipleship aspect of Jesus' ministry. What it means for us to follow Jesus as His disciples. To live on mission as Jesus' disciple makers. And the definition of disciple that I want us to focus on is a very simple one, and it comes from Jesus Himself. And we see this in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. Jesus has begun His ministry. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, has been put into prison. And Jesus is going around preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it says in verse 16 that as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee... He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers 
of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, based on Jesus' words here to Peter, Andrew, James, and John, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus, who is being changed by Jesus, and who is committed to the mission of Jesus. So I want us to break down those three aspects of Jesus' call to discipleship and discover how you and I can be full circle followers of Jesus Christ. The first aspect of this is follow me. Jesus called them to come, follow me, he said. And so that tells us that discipleship is first and foremost an invitation. Discipleship is an invitation. And throughout the Gospels, Jesus invited people to follow him. He called tax collectors to follow him. He called a rich, young uh, legal expert to follow him. He called poor, blind beggars to follow him. And here in this story, Jesus calls four fishermen to follow him. Now, we have to understand something about these four young fishermen. Fishing wasn't just some sort of a temporary high school job for them, okay? This wasn't just like working at Sonic over the summer to earn a little gas money, or I guess camel money or something, whatever. No, this was a family business. This was a big deal. Kids back then didn't pick a career track in high school and then go off to college to discover themselves. They often would learn the family trade, and that's what they would do for the rest of their life. They would follow in Daddy's footsteps. So fishing was all these young men ever knew, and it's all that was really ever expected of them. In fact, following in the family business was often more important than getting married. And if you did go get married, you'd bring your bride back home to live with mom and dad so you could continue to learn the family business and pick it right up and continue in that line of work. So for James and John to get up and to leave behind their nets, their boat, and their daddy... That was a big deal. They literally walked off the job and left their family behind in order to follow Jesus. For them, answering this call, this invitation to discipleship, it was risky. It was costly. It was totally unexpected. Now, for you and me, answering the call to salvation, to follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior, probably won't mean that we have to quit our job. It probably won't mean that we have to say goodbye to our families and move away somewhere else. But following Jesus will require us to make changes. It will require us to make sacrifices. It will require us to reprioritize our lives and to leave some things behind. It will make a difference in our daily choices. It may mean that we have to leave the comfort of our boats, the safety of our nets, the approval of our family or friends. Have you considered counting the cost of answering Jesus' call to follow Him as your Lord and Savior, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Think about that this morning. Think about what nets you might be asked to lay down. And a net's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not talking about sins, though certainly... To follow Jesus, we have to give up our sins. We have to repent and turn from them. But what else? Even good things 
might be getting in the way of your following Jesus Christ fully? What nets might you need to lay down? What boats do you maybe need to step out of? You know, the boat represents comfort. It, it, it re- represents what's safe, what's familiar, kind of what's in your wheelhouse. What might God be saying, you need to step out of that boat and take a risk? Step out of your comfort zone. Step out of what you feel like you can control and embark on a journey that might be just a little bit scary in following Jesus Christ. And who might you, be, who might you need to be willing to leave behind? You know, you may have some family, you may have some friends, people who are either bad influences on you, people whose maybe their opinions of you matter a little bit too much, and they're holding you back from being all that Jesus Christ would ask you to be. And it may be that just, at least in your own heart and mind, you need to kind of just shake the dust off your feet and say, I'm going to love this person, pray for this person, be there for this person, but I'm not going to let them determine anymore what kind of Christian I'm going to be and how I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. This aspect of discipleship is primarily mental. It involves our minds, our heads. It's about knowing Jesus and acknowledging that Jesus is the Lord of your life, that He is the head of your life. You know, we read in the Bible that Jesus is the head of His body, the church, and we are members of His body. That means that we submit to His leadership. The hand... My hand doesn't tell my brain what it wants to do. My brain tells my hand what to do, and it does it. My brain tells my mouth what to do, and it says it. If our brain tells different parts of our body what to do, and they don't do it, something's wrong, right? And we have to go to the doctor. We have to figure out why is my body not working right. The problem's not with the head, usually. It's with the parts of the body. And that's true in the church, There's dysfunction when we, the members of Christ's body, don't follow Him as the head of our life. And so the proper response to this invitation is to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and to follow Him as our Lord. To follow His lead in our lives. The Bible uses a lot of of language about faith and belief, right? I mean, we know that. It talks about believing and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Bible makes it clear that the kind of belief that saves is a belief that does. We can't just hear the Word, as I said last week. We can't just be the soil the Word just happens to fall upon. We must be doers of the Word. Faith without works is dead, James says. So a saving faith in Jesus Christ you're going to accept this invitation to follow Him, it's a faith that works. It's going to make a difference in how you live. That's why I really like this word follow. Because in English, believe is a little bit too passive. You know, we think that a belief is something that I have. It's something that's up here. It's something that I just simply know. I possess it. It doesn't really require me to do anything. In fact, we often hear today about people need to just keep their beliefs private, right? As if you can believe something, but it doesn't have any impact on how you live your life. But the word follow, follow is something you do. Follow is an active word. It means that you're on the move, that you're going somewhere. And follow is a relational word, right? If I am following, there has to be 
someone or something I'm following, right? There's got to be someone or something that's leading the way if I'm following. And depending on who or what you're following, being a follower can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. See, the truth is everyone's a follower. Everyone that you know is following something. They're following someone. The question is, who do you follow? In John 12, 26, Jesus said, Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. So to follow Jesus is to serve Jesus. In in John 14, 23-24, Jesus said, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So to follow Jesus is to obey Jesus. And then in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 25, Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So to follow Jesus is to deny yourself. It's to lose your life so that you can find that His life is at work through you. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Discipleship begins with a decision. A decision, yes, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but to believe with confession of your sins, to confess that He is your Lord, to repent, to turn from your sins, to leave behind those boats, those nets, other people, to leave behind even ourselves and our very lives and commit ourselves to Jesus' leadership. We choose... To follow Him. That's how discipleship begins. But then it continues on. The second part of Jesus' statement, He said, and I will make you. And I will make you. You see, Jesus does the inviting. That's what Jesus does. He's the one who calls us to salvation and discipleship. No one comes to Christ of their own accord. If you come to Jesus, it's because the Holy Spirit of God has convicted you and He has drawn you to Christ. But then the choice is ours whether or not we're going to answer that call. It's as the hymn says that we'll sing here in a few minutes, I have decided to follow Jesus. It's a decision that you must make. But this next aspect of discipleship is once again something that Jesus alone can do through His Holy Spirit. And that is to begin to change us. And so we see that discipleship is also a process of transformation. It's a process of transformation. A disciple of Jesus is someone who's being changed by Jesus. Paul tells us in Romans 8, 29 that as Christians, God's Spirit is at work in us so that we are continually being conformed to the likeness of His Son. You're being conformed To be like Jesus. This this aspect of discipleship is spiritual. As Jesus molds our hearts to become more like His. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 
See, discipleship is about being conformed to and transformed into the image of Christ with ever-increasing glory. Now, let me explain a few things about this idea of being made into the image or into the likeness of Jesus. What does it mean for us to be Christ-like, so to speak? You guys remember the old, the old phrase, WWJD? Do you know what that means? What does WWJD stand for? What would Jesus do? And that was really popular back in the late 90s and early 2000s. I mean, there were bracelets. How many of you had a WWJD bracelet? Come on, own it. Raise that hand. All right, maybe you had a T-shirt, a bumper sticker. There was all kinds of Jesus junk out there that had WWJD on it. Doormats, I mean, you name it. Coffee mugs, it was there. The, the, the interesting thing is, is this whole phrase and this idea of what would Jesus do came from a 19th century, late 19th century book called In His Steps, written by a guy named Charles Sheldon. And the problem that I have with the whole WWJD is that it was focused simply on imitating Jesus. Asking, well, what would Jesus do in certain situations? And the problem with that is Jesus isn't just some wise teacher and good man who lived 2,000 years ago who set an example that we should follow. When we talk about following Jesus, we're not just following His example. Do you understand the difference there? Between following Jesus and just following an example of someone who lived a long time ago? See, discipleship is not about asking what would Jesus do, but asking what is Jesus doing through me? What is Jesus doing in me? It's not enough to simply be like Jesus. Author Leonard Sweet argues that being Christ-like is, quote, too small a dream, too shallow an ambition for a Christian. And when we settle for just trying to imitate Jesus, you know what? I hate to break it to you, but you're going to fail. And you're going to be frustrated. Because you can never be like Jesus. If any one of us could simply be like Jesus, we would have no need for Jesus, would we? By yourself, you can't just be like Jesus. But the good news is that Jesus doesn't want us to be like Him. Rather, Jesus wants to be in us, and He wants us to be in Him. Like Paul wrote in our New Testament reading, when he said, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And then he goes on to say that Christ is your life. Or as Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Jesus doesn't just want you to imitate Him. He wants you to allow Him to inhabit you. To live His life in and through you. He wants to share His resurrection life with you. In John 15, 4, Jesus said, Remain in me. That word remain means abide. It means dwell. It means to take up residence and live. Live in me as I also live in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. 
Frank Viola expresses this well when he writes, the gospel is not the imitation of Christ. It is the implantation and impartation of Christ. We are called to do more than mediate truth. We are called to manifest Jesus' presence. There's a story about a French pastor who came to serve at a church in a little French community. And he got there and immediately started going around, knocking on doors, trying to meet all the people in this little hamlet. And, and as he was going around, one of the first people he met was a husband whose wife had been away for the day and they had a good visit. And so when the wife comes back home and the husband tells her that the new preacher in town had come to visit, she, of course, says, well, how'd the conversation go? What'd y'all talk about? What did he say? And the husband explained all he wanted to know was, does Christ live here? He didn't really ask anything else, just, does Christ live here? And the wife replied, well, certainly you told him that we read our Bible and say our prayers every day. The husband said, well, he didn't really ask that. He just asked, does Christ live here? Well, you did tell him that we attend worship at his church every Sunday and sit on the front pew, didn't you? He didn't ask about that. He only wanted to know, does Christ live here? See, that's really all that God wants to know. That's really all that matters. And that's what He is asking you today. Does Christ live in you? Jesus isn't calling you to imitation. He's calling you to incarnation. For the Spirit of Christ to be incarnate in you, to live in and through you, forming the image of Christ within you so that His desires become your desires. So that you see other people through His eyes and He loves them through you. You literally begin to take on the very mind and attitude of Christ Jesus. And while this is the work of the Spirit in you, Again, this is not a passive experience. It's not like the word believe that we think is kind of passive. This is like the word follow. This is something that's active. You don't just sit around and just let the Holy Spirit kind of change you from the inside out. You're a partner with Him in this process. In Philippians 2.12 it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, the salvation that Jesus Christ has worked into you, you are now to work out so that you're being transformed from the inside out through obedience. So that as Jesus said, others may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, how do we respond? How do we partner with the Spirit's transforming work in our lives? Two ways. One is submission. And the other is spiritual disciplines. Submission and spiritual disciplines. Paul tells us in Romans 12, 1 and 2 that we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices to Jesus. So that rather than being conformed to the ways of the world, we are transformed through the renewing of our mind into the image of Christ. And we actively engage in spiritual disciplines as a part of that renewing of our minds. And that's a whole other sermon we could talk about spiritual disciplines. But let me just say, there are lots of Bible verses about the transforming power of prayer, about setting our minds on heavenly things, 
about gratitude and joy, about giving cheerfully and generously, about the ability of God's word to pierce our hearts and change us and even to help us to escape temptation. Especially when we meditate on God's word, when we hide God's word in our hearts. We could talk about Sabbath rest and corporate worship and fasting and silence and solitude. Through these kinds of activities, we become active participants in our own spiritual transformation. And there is a goal to this transformation. What did Jesus say He would make us into as we follow Him? He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. So discipleship is an invitation to follow Jesus. It's a process of transformation as He makes us. And finally, discipleship is a commission to go and make more disciples. We know the Great Commission where Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then Jesus said, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. This aspect of discipleship is relational. It's relational, and it involves our hands and our feet and our mouths. It involves us doing something and being active. One author on discipleship wrote, if our acceptance of Jesus begins in the head, extends to the heart, it leads to a change in what we do with our hands and how we live out this faith. This is when we know that we are actually following Jesus full circle, when we are making more full circle followers of Jesus. What you believe about Jesus must translate into how you live for Jesus. And that will mean sharing the gospel of Jesus with others so they can know Him as well. When Jesus talks about His followers bearing fruit, it's more than just the fruit of the Spirit He's talking about. The fruit of the Spirit is how we shine the light and do the good works for others to see. But the point of those good works is so they would see those good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. And that's the ultimate fruit that Jesus wants us to bear. More disciples. More people who are being transformed into the image of Christ. And so our final response to Jesus' invitation to be His followers is that we must go. We must go and make disciples as ambassadors for Christ. I want to conclude this morning with a passage of Scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It'll be up on the screen. Verse 15 through 20. I want you to listen to this and listen for these very same three aspects of discipleship right here in what Paul says. And he who died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making His appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
Notice here in verse 15, it talks about following Jesus, living for Him and not ourselves. He is now our Lord. He is the head of our lives, our households, and our church. And then in verse 17, we are new creations. Our hearts are being spiritually transformed. We are made new. So we follow Him. He makes us new. And then finally, in verses 18 through 20, it says that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are entrusted with the message of reconciliation. That God can be made right, that people can be made right with God. We are Christ's ambassadors, and now He makes His appeal through us. So we're to go to our friends and our family and our neighbors and our co-workers and even strangers and implore them on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Are you a full circle disciple of Jesus Christ? Is Jesus the Lord of your whole life? Your head, your heart, your hands. First of all, this morning, are you following Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Jesus invites you to, an, to a life that is abundant and eternal. He invites you to experience God's grace as He forgives your sins and gives you a fresh start in life. Will you answer His call? Follow Jesus and become a Christian today. Maybe you've given your life to following Jesus. Maybe you've done that, but you've never made that commitment public. Perhaps this morning you need to step out of that boat of comfort. Maybe you need to lay down those nets of pride. And you need to come this morning and publicly profess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and follow Him in believer's baptism. Secondly, this morning, are you submitting to the Spirit's work? of transforming your heart and conforming you to the image of Christ? Are you actively participating with God in this transforming work through spiritual disciplines like reading your Bible, like prayer, giving, worship, serving? Perhaps this morning you need to renew your commitment to full-circle discipleship by surrendering yourself once again to God's work in your life. Like clay has to yield to the potter's hand, maybe this morning you'd come and yield yourself to the hands of the potter as he molds and shapes you to be more like Jesus. And finally this morning, are you fully committed to the mission of Jesus? Are you allowing yourself to be Jesus' hands and feet and mouth? Are you doing the work that God has ordained for you to do? Are you going to those that Christ is sending you to go to and allowing Him to implore them through you to be reconciled to God? Maybe this morning you need to recommit yourself to being a disciple who makes disciples. You cannot be a full circle follower of Christ if you're not going and making disciples. You are Christ's ambassadors. Are you doing your job? Are you doing your job? Let us pray. This call to discipleship, Jesus, is so important. It's the most important call that we ever receive. And I pray if there's anyone here this morning that needs to answer the call to salvation, to come and to give their lives to you that you can live through them, to follow you as their Lord and Savior, I pray they would come today and do that. There's any here, Father, that you are calling to unite with this church to join us as fellow disciple makers as we go into this community and this world. I pray, Father, they would come in obedience to that. 
But I know there are many of us in this room that need to recommit either at this altar or right there kneeling down or sitting down or bowing our heads where we stand and saying, forgive me for, for being lazy and not joining you in your transforming work in my life. I recommit myself to read your word, to pray, to give, to serve, to worship, to let you make me more into the image of Christ. I commit myself once again to be a disciple maker. You've surrounded me with people that are lost, that are dying and going to hell. And I'm the one that you are choosing to implore through them, be reconciled to God. Father, help us in this room to recommit ourselves to that high and holy task. It's all in Jesus' name we pray.